Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, the best in RPG interviews. I am, of course, your Dungeon Master, Ryan Howard, and today we are talking to one of the minds behind Tabletop to Keyboard on YouTube and Twitch. Uh, he is one of the co-hosts of their D&D-themed talk show, The Wisdom Check. Uh, his name is Dustin Ogle, and he is one of my fellow travelers in the Notorious DMG group on Discord, which I was very kindly invited to by Matt Jowett. Uh, unlike Dustin, I did not have to talk my way in. Matt just invited me. But we will get into that in the body of the interview. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about before we get into that interview. Uh, first of all, I would like to shout out a, uh, a company that makes a very good product. This will not be a full review because I am not qualified to fully review coffee. Uh, but I am, this morning as I'm recording this, drinking a, uh, a cup of coffee from Found Familiar Coffee. And it is delicious, and if anyone out there has a connection with the Found Familiar guys, uh, reach out to me, because I want to have them on the show. I contacted them, haven't heard anything back from them, but I, I want to bring them on the show to talk about this stuff, because this Six Bean Espresso is delicious. And everyone who runs into me today is going to regret that I am drinking Six Bean Espresso, although I'm not typically a hyperactive person. Just if I have eight glasses of whiskey, I will start fighting with your Google Home, as I found out on New Year's Eve. Anyway, that's one thing I want to talk about. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the website, rollinbonespodcast.com. I have the domain. I am working on the website as, you know, I'm recording this, uh, but after this goes up, it will be live. And not only will it be a place where I can uh, just kind of do blog posts and stuff like that, there will actually be episodes on the website. So for those of you who aren't as podcast savvy, don't like have, uh, you know, a podcatcher app on your phone, I'm mostly talking to my parents right now uh, because they occasionally pop in and listen. Anyone who, you know, doesn't have a podcatcher app, doesn't routinely listen to podcasts and you make a special exception for my show, first of all, thank you. But second of all, you'll be able to listen in browser on my website, rollandbonespodcast.com, which is live as of the time that you are listening to this. And I am very excited about this. Um, this website will, will do a lot for me. I will be able to do blog posts there, as I've already said. It'll also enable me to do some affiliate stuff because I probably told you guys this already, but 2020 is the year that I want to start making a living doing podcasting. Maybe not a full living at first, but I definitely want to start making some money, which means at some point... 
there might or might not be a Patreon. I, I still am not fully decided on that. And a lot of that will come down to talking with people who have Patreons and seeing, you know, just what they offer and, you know, what I can do to add value to patrons without taking away from those of you who don't have the money to basically ensure that I don't have to work a real job. <laughs> but yeah, that's all coming. For now, though, the website's up. Uh, it, it's looking really good. Uh, I will obviously be blasting out links as soon as the thing's up. As soon as this uh, episode goes up, the website will be ready as well. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple places that are going to be marketing it. I, I got my hosting through one of the podcasts that I listened to. So there's, you know, he's going to be marketing to that. So hopefully I'll be getting a whole bunch of new listeners from just doing this website, which I am over the moon excited about because if this is going to be the year that I start making a living off of podcasting, it's also got to be the year that this audience grows by leaps and bounds and uh, that's something that I want to kind of put on you guys to help me out with. I want more people to listen to the podcast and I'm very grateful for those of you who do listen but this is consider this your official call to action. I want you those of you who are in gaming groups those of you who run gaming groups discords stuff like that. If you've got people out there who love RPG podcasts, tell them about the show. Just tell them, hey, there's this guy named Ryan Howard, and he does this podcast, Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, and he gets some great interviews, and, you know, he does some really interesting stuff on the podcast. And just tell your players, tell your GMs, tell anyone that you know that's into into RPGs that Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is the place for RPG interviews. Because if the audience grows, at that point, you know, I'll, I'll be getting more attention, and I'll be able to get some of those, like, bigger-name guests. At this point, my platform is probably too small to, to get the attention of someone like Matt Colville or Matt Mercer or even, well, especially kind of like bigger, bigger names that I'd be wanting to reach out to like Matthew Lillard. There's a lot of Matthews in the RPG world. I just realized this. Uh, Matt Colville, Matt Mercer, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Yeah, there's a ton. Matt Jowett. Yeah. Lots of them. But yeah, guys like, you know, Matthew Lillard, Joe Manganello, The Big Show, they're not going to notice me, no matter how much noise I make at this point. But if the tribe grows, we add more to our, our brave and dauntless barbarian tribe that's going to kick down the gates of this RPG world because that's just how ambitious I am. If, if we start to grow those numbers, we start to, you know, gain traction, get attention on social media and stuff like that, that's when those big names will, if not come to me, at least be receptive to me shouting out to them because I've tried, you know, like... Sandra Luketic, a former guest on the show, was once kind enough to send out a tweet to Joe Manganello trying to get him on my show. Unfortunately, I don't think Joe even saw it because the sheer number of people that have to be tweeting at Joe Manganello just 24 hours a day, seven days a week has got to be staggering. But, you know, if I have more of a following, if there's more people listening, if this becomes a, a place, if not the place to go for, for RPG podcasts, then those names will start listening and I'll be able to, you know, attract those those bigger interviews and get more and more people on the show. And that's the goal because I want to provide the maximum value to you guys as well as, you know, make a living doing something that I love. I just put a ton of work every week into this show, and I want it to be enjoyed by all the people out there that I know would enjoy it, all the people out there that otherwise wouldn't have heard of this podcast. And to do that, I need your help. So, 
With that out of the way, one last thing I want to talk about. Um, I don't really have any stories from my gaming tables. Everything, everything's gone pretty good. You know, my, my Dark Sun table, they're still very much enjoying Dark Sun. I'm very much enjoying the way they play. There's stuff that I have written out that they haven't even touched. And there's stuff that I didn't write that they've gotten very deep into just organically like they that's what they did they discovered it they fleshed it out themselves and i improvised with with what they were doing and you know that's cool that's a really cool thing that happens at the gaming table is just that that improvisation on both sides where you know as a dm you can never know every possibility what every single conversation with even the smallest npc could lead to because you don't have enough time in like even a year to write out what every single interaction with every single npc that the players could potentially run in could turn into because that's just insane you'd have a book that's like three zweihanders but anyway all that to say i am unbelievably stoked about what they're doing at that table every every wednesday i'm just happy to to go over to my friend Josh's house and just, you know, sit down at that table and see what kind of insane, crazy Athos-flavored nonsense is going to happen, and, you know, what, what kind of gore and blood is going to spew from what kind of crazy monster that I introduced. And then my Saturday game is also going very well, and I really like what my players in the Saturday game are doing as well. They're, they're very into their characters, and they are all growing unbelievably as as D&D players. Even my wife, who's not as enthusiastic about the game, and, and maybe, you know, might not want to play any more D&D once this game concludes. She's really good at the game. She She's a great role player. She loves combat. You know, she, she really does well. She's a great player to have at the table. And, and I hope that I can kind of turn her around on that. I know she she very much views D&D as my hobby that she's kind of humoring me on, but you know, I I do hope that I can kind of turn her around by the end of this game and and you know, convince her to to keep coming to the table, to keep playing, uh, to keep enjoying this hobby. Maybe not to the extent that I enjoy it because then she'll start a rival podcast of mine and we'll have some issues. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Kathy. She doesn't listen. <laughs> but I do want her to continue to enjoy this hobby because you know, I, I see that she's having fun when we come to the table. Unlike my Dark Sun game, this this game that I do on Saturdays has little to no planning at all because I have realized that giving that party too much structure is a negative because at that point I become too reliant upon the structure and they just kind of ignore the structure. They very much do their own thing, so I I really have to I really have to polish up on my improv with them, and that's that's kind of what I'm pulling from that game as a dungeon master is learning to think on my feet because that is a very unpredictable party. There's no telling what they could do. We did an entire session that revolved around sneaking into a king's palace disguised as like belly dancers last session because that's just what happened that's you know the interactions that that happened at the table because my wife decided that her care her her thing recently has been she's trying to arm wrestle everyone that she comes across because I don't even know why. She just wants to arm wrestle everyone that she comes across. Her strength is terrible. She's a rogue. So strength is a dump stat. 
but she just wants to arm wrestle everyone. And so I'll just throw out these random characters. It'll be like a 67-year-old man who she'll... She always rolls super low, and I always roll super high. And it's just a, it's a matter of, like, who, who beats her this time. And then occasionally she'll, like, roll a 20, and I'll roll under that. And it'll be like a... I always do something funny. Like, it's a 12-year-old boy that she's arm wrestling, and she, like, trounces him, and he starts crying or something like that. But she was wrestling this, this like... The reference image I gave them for this NPC was China from uh, the WWF. Those of you who are wrestling fans out there. She's basically arm wrestling China, and she lost as usual. Uh, but then David, uh, the bard at the table, uh, aka Spoonie, not that one, <laughs> his character, Hogram Hoham, walks up to her and starts hitting on her because he's a bard and he, he can't not. But, you know, he finds out that, that she used to be a showgirl and from there that was kind of their inn to get into this, uh, this king's palace and this new area that they're going to. All of that to say, you can do some absolutely insane stuff if you have a very loose structure in mind of what's going to happen or what they're going to encounter, but then you just kind of improv a lot. And it takes, it's it's different kinds of groups. I feel like if I did that with my Wednesday group, it, it could work. They're all very experienced, very good role players, but it might not work as well as it does with a Saturday group. And same thing with, uh, if I did what I'm doing with that Dark Sun group, where I am literally basically writing modules for them and then kind of, you know, improvising based on the structure, based on kind of, you know, what they what they're doing in game. If I did that with the uh, the Saturday group, that would not work out well. They would not enjoy it as much. And they're basically I wouldn't get to anything that I would write. And then I feel like I wasted my time and we'd very much be back to where I was when I first started running that Saturday game with them because I had not properly taken the temperature of the group. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the main event of today's show, my interview with Dustin Ogle of Tabletop to Keyboard. I hope you all enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Roland Bones. He is one of the people behind Tabletop to Keyboard on YouTube and Twitch, uh, one of the hosts of the Wisdom Check, a... Uh, a D&D-themed talk show that's, again, available on YouTube and Twitch. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm, rolling bones welcome to Dustin Ogle. Hey, thank you, everybody. Thanks for having me here. Cool. So, Dustin, uh, basically to start things off, um, I'm going to ask you these introductory questions. Everyone gets asked these questions, so uh, let's get <laughs> I understand. We do the exact same thing on Wisdom Check, so I totally understand what's coming like down the pipe here. We're... Yeah. We're amongst our own. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to start with one that's easy, but typically a long story. How did you get into RPGs and D&D? Oh, man. Well, it's um, not as long a story as you'd like to think, but growing up, I was one of those jocks. Um, I've played a lot of basketball, a lot of sports. Mm -hmm. um, things like tabletop gaming was nowhere on the radar. And uh, when I got into high school, I got injured playing football my freshman year and so I kind of gave up on a lot of the sports and started finding other things to do and some of my friends started getting into um, some drugs and some other things and so there hit a point where they kind of started to go further than I was willing to go so I found some new friends and they happened to do this little thing called Dungeons and Dragons on the weekends <laughs> so I started hanging out with them instead and um, you know 20 years later those are the same guys that are with me now at tabletop to keyboard so gotcha. that's that's kind of what happened like mm -hmm. long story short that, that that's pretty much it you and you and Joe Manganello with the same origin story there. I mean, basically, yeah, kind of. Um, he was probably a lot better at some of that stuff than I was, but 
it was nonetheless that's that's how it happened i mean my story is pretty similar i you know my dad was a football coach and a baseball coach growing up so i was very involved in sports and then eventually i just kind of fell into to nerdy stuff as well and then it took me a while to find rpgs i didn't find rpgs until college but here i am yeah it, it was interesting you know i that time frame was the mid 90s you know there was everything was you know gangs and rap and you know all that was going on you know and uh, if you were in things like tabletop role playing games like you sure as hell didn't tell anybody about it mm-hmm. you know you had places where you and your friends would meet to go play and you know you just hope nobody else would see you there things like that so it's amazing how far the hobbies come you know from those days of of uh extra books stashed in your book bag that you know you carefully pulled out at certain times if you didn't think anybody was looking to glance through you know things like that versus where we are now where you can pretty much just proudly go out and talk about it and mm-hmm. people don't look at you quite so weird anymore now that uh that first game system you were playing uh, i know you said mid-90s was this uh second edition advanced dandy yeah second gotcha. edition advanced dandy gotcha so over the uh the years that you've played D, uh what and other rpgs as well what's been your favorite game system oh my favorite game system man um I think just because of the way the stories you could tell with it, I was always a bigger fan of the World of Darkness games. Mm-hmm. Um, Werewolf Vampire, we played a lot of those. I was a ST for a LARP, a 50-player LARP. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of Mind's Eye Theater stuff, obviously, for LARP. Um, you know, D&D was always, like, my first love, you know? But, yeah. you know, we were younger then. We didn't really structure our games as well back then. You know, we were we played around with it a lot and kind of honed in our skills, you know, and... Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, cut our teeth on D&D, and then we moved into Vampire, Werewolf, Wraith, some of those games, like, we started telling more mature stories, so those are the stories I feel like were always better ones, and eventually then we kind of came back around to more D&D again, and we're doing a, you know, much better job with some of our storytelling now as adults than we did when we were teenagers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, yeah, Stu Horvath from uh, the Vintage RPG podcast, when he was on the show, he put it best when he said that D&D is blue jeans. Yeah, I guess you could say it that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. like everybody, everybody owns a pair. Yep, it's 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 the basic system that everybody can get into and understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they're it's pretty. I don't want to say it's self-explanatory because back in the days of second ed, like it it was almost like a secret code that you could speak amongst each other that no one else understood. You use words like "thaco" and people are like, "What the hell's a thaco?" And you're like, "Okay, this is, this is it's like complex algebra math here now that we have to talk about to get you yeah. to understand how if you hit or not." You know, it isn't. You know, when when 3.0 came out, like they they streamlined it. Everything was just added on, and mm-hmm. if your number was higher, you know, it made it, it. I guess it made it more accessible to people in 3.0, and then obviously. You know, fifth ed has really opened up accessibility for for people to come play. Gotcha. So, if you uh, think back to kind of those first days of of playing D anD D for the first time, do you remember what your first character was? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was an elven wizard, um, and you know, as classic names of characters when you don't know what you're doing, um, it was literally my name backwards. It was <laughs> Nitsadogo was his name, and uh, he may or may not have got the rest of the party completely killed about seven games in. So. <laughs> And it wasn't like I did something that got them killed. I literally cast the fireball that killed them all, and that was the end of that game. So that's how I started out my gaming career, by killing the party. I was about to ask, was this a, a charisma check gone wrong, or was this an AoE spell gone wrong? No, it was... Uh, there was the, the party had been like captured, and the DM had kind of this... He was testing my character about something, and mm-hmm. he... 
basically kind of bet my character he wouldn't do something and my character was like yeah sure i'll do it and did it and it killed the rest of the party i guess i hadn't considered that's who was behind door number one so just long story short that's basically what happened is i nuked them and Hmm. that was the end of the game so yeah we all have we all have questionable things that we've done in character in in our early days of of D. like i said we we weren't the best at storytelling back then we were still experimenting with it ourselves you know we weren't we weren't sure what was going on i guess he was a reader of some of the old Dragonlance novels and stuff and a lot of the game was based on those novels well i hadn't read the novels so i didn't understand what was going on so i just acted uh, acted as i kind of felt my character would and well you know sometimes that's not always the best thing to do but you know as a situation young player you're gonna do those things and eh. Then we made new characters and started another game, and it was really fun, too. So I didn't kill everyone that second time around. So Gotcha. So over the years, we all kind of develop our own styles as we play D&D, both as players and, and GM. So how would you describe your play style, both as a player and then if you ever do sit behind the screen as a GM? Yeah, I, I do. I do DM and I do um, I do GM, depending on what the game you know likes to title their quote-unquote storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, as a player, I am, I think for the most part... I like to make characters that are, I like to think of them as more grounded. Um, they're more more uh, anchored in kind of just the basic basic parts of what humanity really is. It doesn't matter if they're human, elf, whatever. They're, you still are based around this idea of like, you know, humanity. They have flaws, they have desires, they have these things. And my characters are usually based in that sort of grounded aspect even though they may be able to do fantastic things you know they when it comes down to at the end of the day you know they're they're kind of these flawed tragic people in some way shape or form um and when i dm or gm sometimes it kind of varies a little based on what story i want to tell Mm -hmm. sometimes i like to tell the high epic fantasy story and so I set things up to be that way. Other times I want to tell a little darker story. Like we did a world of darkness really good at, you know, getting into humanity aspects and getting people to think about what that means for their character before they take an action or, you know, afterwards and mm-hmm. seeing that downward spiral take place. Um, I do kind of gravitate towards those games a little more so than the high epic fantasy ones, but uh, you know, that's, that's just me. So probably from all those years of uh, STing LARP. And this is a question that a lot of people find very difficult to answer because there's a lot of great memories associated with with gaming, but what would you say is your fondest RPG memory? Oh man, fondest RPG memory, there are so many. You know, I think that I think there was something really kind of special that happened. I think after we were done LARPing, when we first got back to tabletop gaming again, it wasn't like one specific thing, but it was just kind of when I kind of reunited a lot with my high school friends, uh, the ones that have gone on to help start tabletop to keyboard with me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did a lot of my LARP, there was a couple of them that I LARP with, but a lot of them I kind of lost contact with because this LARP group was kind of like a separate group um, that I was running with there for a long time. And uh, I think that just that first game session, getting to sit back, sit back down with the guys who I gamed with in high school was was pretty memorable. It was at my house in Danville when I lived up in Danville. And, uh, you know, I remember they all came over and we made food and hung out. And that was like kind of like my reintroduction back into the group again. Mm-hmm. So I think that I'll, I'll remember that one, I think, for, for a long time. Was that Danville, Virginia? Illinois. We're all oh, in Illinois. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. I was just about to say, I'm, I'm, I was born in Richmond, so. Uh, no, not, not quite that close, unfortunately. <laughs> We're all from the Midwest, so. Gotcha. 
having a lot of experience in LARPing, you probably have several of these stories. Um, but we game with all kinds of different people when we game. Uh, some of them yeah. we grow to really love. Some of them are not so great. And the worst of those people, we uh, have given the moniker of that guy to. So, sure. Dustin, what is your best or worst that guy story? Oh, man. Um, I think the one thing where LARP really separates itself, in particular if you're playing Vampire, mm-hmm. and particularly when you're in a game with like 50-plus players and 5 STs, mm-hmm. there's a couple things that you have to understand when you go into that environment for that kind of game. One, it's a PvP game. Two, characters are at all different power levels. Some people have been playing those characters for 10 years. You're a brand-new character. That's just life. Mm-hmm. It's... Just like real life. There's always people ahead of you in the game. There's always people behind you in the game. Some people, though, have had their characters for long enough that they became so overly attached to them that when they lost them, there were fights. (laughs) I saw people throw item cards. Like, there was shouting. Like, it got way too over-invested sometimes Mm -hmm. in a single character. Like, the the lines between their character and their real life had gotten too blurred, in my (laughs) opinion. So, and it's, you know, it was a real... Is a real issue with LARP, I think. You don't get that so much with tabletop, because game sessions are usually scheduled every couple weeks. This is the time you play. In between games, you just chat about stuff or laugh about stuff, but there's nothing official. Mm-hmm. You know, at LARP, it was like people would like want to run like between game scenes all the time. And like I swear there were people who were playing their characters more than they were living their real lives sometimes, <laughs> I felt like. So that was my quote unquote that guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, tabletop it's different. You know, yeah. tabletop you get like the rules lawyers, you get like the the you know and sometimes that can drag things down, but if my that guy is always that guy who got super angry when his character would would get killed. So, so there's a lot of things that we have to just kind of accept. They just kind of come with the territory when we decide to play an RPG. Uh, some of these things, you know, we grow to love and appreciate, and then some of these things, oftentimes we just kind of wonder why they're even there in the first place. So, all of that to say, Dustin, what is your least favorite RPG cliche? I have a couple. Um, the first one is that the first RPG cliche that, that kind of bugs me, and I'm trying to think of how best to word it, is that party composition matters. This idea that people have to be typecasted into specific roles, I think, bothers me. In my personal opinion, you play what you want to play. Yeah. And that should not necessarily have to be a complete group decision. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people in my group who very much feel adamantly against that. They very much feel like everything should be a cooperative group game and everyone should base their characters off what everyone else is playing and this, that, the other. But I've always been, I've always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum and my characters do not always fit in those molds very well. Um, And I kind of feel like, you know, it's a DM will, a DM has a lot of tools at their disposal to fix group composition. I don't want the person being forced to play a healer for the sake of the party having a healer. There's healing potions. There's wands. Just administer out what you need to DMs to give your players what they need, so everyone can just play what they want to play and yeah. just let them go play and have fun. Like, and that's what the, that's what the game should be. You know, it's I, so I, I think that's my top one is that group composition is like some sort of rigid thing that must be adhered to, mm-hmm. like it's in it, like it's a video game, like an MMO or something, and it's not. Yeah, one of my one of my groups that I'm running for right now is on paper a very badly composed party um, because they have two DPS and then the third character is a bard, uh, so they have no tank. They barely have a healer. But and so, are, are you in fifth ed? Yes. But let me ask you this: mm-hmm. What makes a person a tank? 
Well, I mean, what makes a person a tank for the most part is uh, being able to like take punishment with yeah, high but, AC. And, and this is where and this is what always yeah. bugs me about it. There's no ability really in the game to ensure that the monster's going to hit you. I mean, that's where the that's where the model falls apart horribly. Like the only addition that did that well was fourth ed, and everyone yep. hated it <laughs> with a passion, you know. So it's that's that's always the interesting part of where that cliche gets me. I'm like, there's no yep. real ability to tank unless the DM just plays along with the fact that this guy's the tank, so I'm going to beat on him for the whole session. Like, right. I don't know. Those things just like I said, I've never really understood how somebody's supposed to quote unquote tank in in fifth ed. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then uh, this last question here, um, and I will tell you, this can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be, Dustin. <laughs> so if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh, man, we're making merch right now at TT2KB. <laughs> and so um, I have jokingly um, put up, they were asking for t-shirt ideas at Tabletop to Keyboard. We're, we're on Redbubble, um, so we have our logos out there. You can make your own merch. Um and my current character in our Everstorm game, which is our 5e homebrew world that we play in, um, is Balaran Harrows. And he is a wood elf druid pirate and uh, somewhat greedy. Uh, at least everyone thinks he's greedy. No one's ever asked what he's doing with all the wealth he's accumulated. Um, but basically everyone else in the party's dirt broke and I have like all the wealth. And uh, no one's ever figured out what I'm actually doing with any of it. It's kind of funny. We were yep. discussing about this week. But I've always jokingly said that I wanted to put out like a pair of like... Uh, like shirts and shorts and everything. It just says that Baron Harrow's plundered my booty and just <laughs> have, have, have like with a, with a nice artistic picture of Bowron on there, like with a treasure chest under him, like doing a Captain Morgan pose or something. So Absolutely. I've always joked about having the Baron Harrow's line of booty plundering. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That would be one of those uh, great things to put on like the, the Sophie shorts that girls used to wear in like 2003. Yeah. So so far, all the guys have shot down my proposal for it. So it, it's not <laughs> happening. You won't find it on our on our merch store in Redbubble. I'm not a good enough artist to do it myself. <laughs> I can't. Our our DM, who is an artist, I, I haven't got him around to making the art for it. He, he, everyone else has shot down the idea. So it just, I guess it's not happening. But I've always joked that that's like a, the kind of a joking T-shirt design I come up with or short design, even yeah. Well, Dustin, as we kind of transition into stuff more focused on you. Uh, you are the first person I've ever had on the show that, you know, has really any kind of background in, in LARPing. So I guess I should ask you this question as someone who has come to role playing, uh, not just through being interested in nerdy stuff, but also from being from a, a theater background, I am very interested in LARP. However, every single time I look into how do you get involved in LARP? The answer that comes back to me almost always is don't. What's your take on this? How can someone get involved in LARP? Okay, so this is the short roundabout answer of how I got into it. Mm-hmm. And when I, I went to school at Indiana State University, a short drive from where I live here in Paris, Illinois, um, there was little to no role-playing groups there at all. There was nothing. But when I graduated with my degree, I got a job at a hospital up in Champaign-Urbana where the University of Illinois is, much bigger university than I went to. Mm-hmm. And me and a couple of the guys that were are part of TT2KB had found out about the LARP that was actually a student organization ran through the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so because it was ran through the University of Illinois – you're under all the jurisdiction of all the student rules. You're playing in campus buildings. It's a safe environment. It's a place where you can, you know, 
it's scheduled. It has to be scheduled through the university. Like it helped, I think, create a better environment than quote unquote, like we're just going to go stand out in a woods somewhere or we're going to go downtown somewhere and do this in front of people who have no clue what's going on. And the police will then get involved. Like we had areas we were registered as a group on campus. And in my opinion, those are the games that are the best and safest to get involved with versus some just private LARP game that you don't know if people are going to adhere to rules or anything like that. It was, it was much more formal. Mm-hmm. When I first joined it, it was part of a nationwide org called uh, One World by Night. So it was part. It was one game that was a chronicle, and there was various chapters of that and various games that you could travel to and be part of other people's games in other cities. Mm-hmm. So it was not just part of University of Illinois' like student organization rules, but it was also part of a larger org that had rules, and everything was, I guess, maintained better that way. So yeah. when you, when you have that much structure involved, it's not just like picking up a. I suppose it'd be like playing an adventurers league for D and D as opposed to just picking up somebody's random game at the game shop on a Thursday. You never know what you're going to get. Whereas with adventures league, you know, that they have to kind of submit to be part of it and all that. So I suppose because it's an org, it it was a better environment to, to come into LARP under. And that's, if those are exist in your area, a lot of times, even if you're not a student, you can still be part of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you're, near those kind of bigger campus organizations where you can come be part of something like that. I think those are the better way to go. Now, the other thing that I've heard about LARP that's always kind of discouraged me is if you don't know the organizers, you're essentially an NPC. So what kind of ways are there for someone who is new and doesn't know anyone to work their way up without being disrupted? So a LARP, like I said, we, we average 40 to 50 people players at any given time um you know game to game attendance would vary but as somebody who was in it both as a player and as somebody who was an st for a while Mm -hmm. um the game doesn't exist you know especially vampire does not work well if you don't have sort of a certain mass number of players to populate the different covenants the different clans you know sorts of things like that Mm -hmm. so everyone's always trying to get new people involved i think that's the I think that is what's different than what people expect at a LARP. You're not an NPC. The difference is in where the player has to make the bridge they have to cross before they really understand LARP is that there are five STs. Mm -hmm. And at a table, you're used to the ST spoon feed and you plot. Here's what's going on in the world. What are you going to do? They're asking you these questions. When you come into a LARP environment, you have to make your own story. Mm -hmm. You You are your own ST until... You run your story runs into someone else's story, and you have to get a real ST to come adjudicate over it. Like, mm-hmm. so you you do a lot of role play, but you also have to you have to learn to be kind of a mover and a shaker. You can't just wallflower. If you just wallflower, it, you can play, gain XP, learn some cool powers, whatever you're gonna do. But you're always gonna feel like that side character just hanging out over there that's never in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. So the best way then to get involved is to you know start doing things that your character wants to do and eventually it'll show up on someone's radar and they'll someone will either bring you in under their wing or you'll end up with a nemesis or you know something gotcha gotcha so it's a lot like real life in a, in a way the first thing i did of my character how i got involved um i was i went into the main room and the guy who played the sheriff who's kind of an important position in the city for vampires if you're not yep. familiar with vampire the masquerade he was playing chess and they were betting boons which are favors owed 
well, I didn't have anything else to do, so and I'm horrible at chess. But I went over there and I bet him a couple boons and I lost handedly, so then I owed him boons. Well, then to work off my boons, he had to give me stuff to do. So now I got things to do. So now I'm helping him do stuff to work off my boons. Next thing you know, he decides he likes me. Now I'm running around with the sheriff all the time. Now I'm a deputy. And I'm getting to go do things. Now I'm in on the plots. I know where things are going on in the city. Like, So it's, you know, sometimes by just taking one on the chin, you give yourself a foot in the door and an avenue to a better LARP experience. So Yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and, and I'm asking you a lot of LARP questions, again, just sure. because no one else has, has been on the show to talk about this yet. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's hard to find people who will, I'm sure. <laughs> I find, in in my experience gaming, there are certain character types that attract certain types of people. And I find, oftentimes, that some of the most annoying people are attracted to, in particular, the bard class. Because it's the... That's the attention-grabbing class. And I've also found a lot of those same annoying people are drawn to the Malkavian in Vampire. What's your take on that? Do you feel like that's not really a thing? Or what's your take on that? I think players that want to be disruptive will look for the fast path to being disruptive. Yeah, And I think that... Malkavian obviously gives you some tools to do that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And what Malkavian gives you that the other clans doesn't, it gives you like this, in my opinion, very badly constructed alibi. Oh, well, I'm crazy. Oh, I'm, I'm nuts. But like, I think in 2020, like now we were playing in the 90s, you know, like 90s, early 2000s. I think we've come a long way as far as our approach towards what mental health looks like over the course mm-hmm. of those 20 years. Yeah. So I don't feel like. I feel like the game has re-editioned and those things are gone in a lot of ways on purpose. But yes, I think at those times, Malkavian was a class where you could hide, you could drop uh, literally derangements onto people, and people didn't understand what mental health was. They didn't know how to properly roleplay them, so it became Mm -hmm. far more disruptive. In my opinion, a Toreador was worse than a Malkavian if someone wanted to be disruptive, Mm -hmm. but, you know... (laughs) Or a Ventru, you know, yep. could do far more, in my opinion, damage to another player's character. A Ventru was way worse than a Malkavian. Mm-hmm. D- Dominate was just completely agency-breaking, you know, and that th- those were the worst situations, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Dealing with some dementation from a Malkavian could be a half hour of good roleplay and a stake mm-hmm. in the heart. And they'd wake you back up later and let you <laughs> run off because they knew what happened to you. Yeah. But a Toreador or a Ventru, in my opinion, could do mm-hmm. worse. And I feel like the Bard is sort of the same thing. Yeah. Like, it's the class you go pick if you want to just push your boundaries a bit. Yep. See see, see where the edge of the world mm-hmm. really is. You know, yep. the I seduced the dragon. You know, that's kind of the <laughs> cliche uh, thing that mm-hmm. quote-unquote Bards will do. Yep. I personally have never played a Bard, and I don't, I don't particularly care for the class that much. Yeah. So... <laughs> Just me. Maybe one day I will. Maybe maybe one day I'll find a way to make it cool for me. But yeah. it just doesn't offer me anything at this point in time. Mm. So, well, yeah, and the, and the bard and the Toreador have the, the the similarity of that's the in a lot of ways that that becomes the thirsty class. Yeah, yeah, that and that's kind of I think if you're like I said if you if you want to attention seek you can do it with any clan you can do it with any class you really can I mean there is if you want to be disruptive. You know, it's it's up to your DM or GM to really to really curtail that activity at the table for the sake of all the other players. Um, in a LARP, you'll just get beat down. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your game experience will be very short um, because of the way social vampire constructs are. Or you know, and for a vampire LARP, if you're a werewolf LARP, you know, 
you'll have different ramifications because of the way those social constructs are set up, but you'll just, it'll be a very short lived character for you. And then you'll be making a a real character that you're going to actually do something with after that. So Mm -hmm. we didn't have the problem in LARP quite so much. Occasionally they would show up, but they'd be very short lived. So the tabletop environment for that with Bard, in my opinion. And then this will be the last LARP question, I promise. Oh, that's um, okay. I don't care. I'll talk about anything, uh, tabletop roleplay uh, or LARP even, so it doesn't bother me one bit. You mentioned earlier uh, how being on like a college campus environment helped you kind of avoid the LARP world running into kind of the, the real world, as it were. Have you ever had instances of either regular people stumbling upon your LARP or LARPers say getting involved with uh, the authorities, as it were. We never had problems with authorities. Okay. That, that never happened. Mm-hmm. I did have um, situations where my LARP career and other things I did outside of LARP did finally cross paths. I've always been one of those people that, like, I've never really had, like, exactly what they refer to as, like, gamer shame. Like I said, there was it was more about just avoiding the explanation or trying to have to explain. So you just kind of avoided it. Um, but uh, I've also in college when I was at Indiana state, I am a member of a college fraternity. Mm-hmm. And after graduating, I became an advisor for a chapter and I helped refound the chapter at the university of Illinois for my fraternity. So I was advising fraternity brothers through the week and then pretend to be a vampire on the weekends. Well, we're on one campus, it's a big campus, but it ain't that big. Eventually, right. you know, they find out about things. And so then there's explanations that had to be had, things like that. Like, like, all right, man, what the hell is all this? Like, so it's just little things like that where it'd come up. But, you know, you, you and most of them pretty okay with it. Like, there was never anything else, you know, really said about it. It was just one of those times where eventually those two different worlds did, did bump into each other eventually. So it did happen, you know, down the, at one point or another. Because I've heard stories about LARPs where they'd be LARPing in a hotel and it would be a hotel that, like, a Saudi prince was staying in. And so the, the Saudi prince's bodyguards would be very uh, very on edge, very concerned about, about what yeah. was going on. And, and like I said, we were going from university to university because yeah. most of the games we were in were part of uh, campus groups. So they were renting campus buildings. Yeah. They'd rent the whole building, so you weren't, like... It wasn't like us on one floor and some other group on the floor below us most of the time. Occasionally, you know, another group would be nearby. We'd tell everyone, like, don't go down to these floors. Normally you can today. Those are off limits. Stay up here, you know, just for the sake of, of not having to, to deal with the real life politics, you know, so. So moving on to uh, kind of the, the content that you and uh, your, your friends at Tabletop to Keyboard do, how do you go from uh, high school friends that game together to content creators? What, what was that evolution for you guys? Okay, so um, I don't know how this all exactly started. I like sometimes how things go. I'm sometimes kind of the, the last one of the party, sometimes as, as it would say. Um, I, uh, for about as many years as I've been advising fraternities and playing tabletop games, I also am an officer of an MMO guild, an online... Uh, video game MMO guild. And so I I spend a lot of my time doing a lot of that stuff, um, playing various MMOs with those people. And somewhere along the lines in there, four of my friends decided that they wanted to start filming some cooperative gameplay of, um, maybe it was Pathfinder Kingmaker or Divinity 2 or something like that. It was one of those games. Mm -hmm. And so they started recording it, and they formed Tabletop to Keyboard as a place where they were going to record, edit the videos, and then pump them out. Mm -hmm. Um, so they did. They did like four or five sessions of 
I think it was Divinity 2, um, where they filmed all this. And those videos actually still exist on tabletop keyboard. They were never released. So we got around to finishing our campaign number four in our Lim world, the, um, the world that we've been playing in since high school, our homebrew world. And uh, they talked about, like, the next time that our DM Levi started up a campaign that we should stream it. And so when I finished, I ran a game over that summer, which was um, not the game that we wanted to launch with um, for, for a lot of various reasons that I completely agreed with. Um, it was extremely kind of adultish, mature content. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to, like, launch with that one. So when it ended and Levi was ready to start up, what is now known as Everstorm, the Chronicle number five in his world. Um, we got about two games in, and I asked the question. I was like, so, guys, we talked about streaming these. Are we going to do this or not? And everyone's like, well, yeah, we should totally do that. So I think, like, game session three and four, we actually recorded them, and we were going to make the videos, put it out later. And after a couple of games, I was like, guys, it's just easier just to stream these things live. Like, this is way too much work, like, on the back end, trying to edit all this. So... We about game five. We just started, you know, putting us all on Mike's cameras, creating overlay, and just put it out there live. And you know, we we've been doing it ever since. And that it all started with that Everstorm game. We're still playing it. We're on game like I don't know, thirty one or thirty two or something like that now. So, mm-hmm. and then uh, I guess the uh, the talk show, the Wisdom Check, was kind of yeah. born out of that. Well, yeah. Um, what happened was we were seeing some we we're seeing some early fans come in for Everstorm. Mm-hmm. And Everstorm is on Saturday nights when we can make it, but it's not necessarily a regular schedule. It's not necessarily every other week. It's not every week. It was every two weeks sometimes, sometimes back-to-back weeks, every third week. And we were having problems getting regular viewers all the time because they were never sure when it was going to be on when it wasn't. And we would try to put a schedule out a couple of games ahead of time just to let people know kind of when we were playing next, but we could never get a real consistent schedule with it. So we were like, well, what can, what else can we do content-wise to expand our channel, bring in more viewers? We need something that we can do weekly. Well, the six of us couldn't get together weekly on any day of the week hardly, or we'd be playing Everstorm on that day instead. Yep. So, you know, we're all adults. Many of us have kids, wives, you know, all those normal normal everyday life complications that come with gaming, right? Yeah. So me and Jeff thought it'd be fun if we did a podcast. And at first, it was going to be just me and Jeff and Clint, who's our tech guy. He was going to run everything behind the scenes so that me and Jeff could just get on camera and talk. So we set it all up and came up with the name Wisdom Check from an old friend who used to be in our group playing with us all the time. He proposed it, and we liked it, so we took it and ran with it. And the first couple episodes is just me and Jeff talking about D&D topics, how to handle character death, um, you know, role play versus role play. The, mm-hmm. the dice rolling versus the acting parts and, yep. you know, how to find a table that's best for you, things things like that, you know, kind of like a D&D advice sort of talk. And uh, but from the get go, I was like, guys, I know enough people out there who are streamers who do this other stuff like we can book guests. And they were like, oh, I don't know. Let's just do it with you and Jeff at first. So the first two episodes it was just me and Jeff. And by episode three, I finally let him I finally got them to agree to let me have Matt Jowett on, who um, I know, you know, yep. um, he came on. He was our first guest. Episode three. Um, he was running Jowsum's Den at the time. He was not yet with uh, Grim and Perilous Gaming. So he was he was at Jowsum's Den, and he came on. He was our first guest. It was a fantastic two-hour interview, and it set the tone. And after that, the guys gave me the keys to the gave me the keys of the kingdom. They gave me the, the Twitters, the Twitches, you know, all they put in my hands kind of and said, you go promote, and we'll work on content, and you go do the promotions. You make the headways because I learned how to 
do a lot of socializing and stuff through the fraternity, how to work a room, yeah. how to make meet and greet, you know, mover shaker type stuff. So mm-hmm. I went out and did a lot of that and started bringing people in and filled up most of last summer's guest list. And then uh, we had a big turning point where um, Jeff, the other guy who does wisdom check with me, his dad is an artist who does all the conventions and he travels to all the conventions and does sculpting and artwork and um, does a fantastic job. That's David Pancake if you want to look him up and check out his art. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got a lot of, because of his awards and everything he's won at these conventions, he knows sort of the D&D elite, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's friends with Luke Gygax. He's friends with Satine Phoenix. He's He knows all these people. So next thing you know, like we got Satine Phoenix and Larry Elmore coming on the show and like mm-hmm. we're getting to talk to all these people, right? And, uh, next thing you know, our guest list went from, you know, my friends who are streamers to people that I wouldn't imagine we'd ever be getting to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so now we finished season one at the end of last year. We're now doing season two and continuing to book more people. And, and it's just kind of keep growing and growing from there. And it's helped us get a more regular audience. And those people are finding Everstorm. And mm-hmm. um, we're expanding content, you know, more and more as we go. How fun and easy was that Larry Elmore episode? I, I was on vacation <laughs> in Florida at Disney World. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about Wisdom Check is that it's become me and Jeff yeah. for the most part. Um, with Clint running things behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. When I first proposed the idea, I proposed that like every week's episode of the six of us, we would figure out which two were best suited for the topic at hand. Mm-hmm. And that those would be the two who'd be on the show. Well, mm-hmm. some of the other guys were real hesitant about kind of wanting to be on there. But one of the episodes I knew for sure I wanted our DM Levi to be on was the Larry Elmore episode. And it just so happened it came up on the week I was going to be gone anyway. So Jeff and Levi got to be on the show with Larry Elmore. And it was, in my opinion, it's still one of the best episodes we've done. And Levi is an artist. He knows every piece of artwork that Larry Elmore has done. He can talk to him on an artist-to-artist kind of level that I can't. I'm a scientist. I can't do art. So, you know, it was it was fantastic to watch. And I was so happy for Levi to have that opportunity to talk to one of his, like, idols. So even if I'd been home, I know I would have set that one out. So... Because when, when Larry did my show, it was ask a question and then Larry just goes. Yeah. And it was it was one of the easiest interview experiences I've ever had because yeah. he just had story after story that led into another story, which led into this story. And it all had to do with stuff that I wanted to know. So it was – yeah, I was barely uh, fantastic. interviewing him. He's, va- he's fantastic. And I know we're doing it – you know, this is a podcast, so people can't see anything. Well, we – Wisdom Check, we call it a talk show because when you're watching Twitch, there's cameras. And we had Larry on camera, which I think mm-hmm. was on a phone because, you know, the angle you can always kind of tell. Yeah. But he was taking us on a tour of his house. Just walking around with his phone, just showing us the art hanging on his walls and talking about pieces of art on his walls and stuff like that. It was just amazing to see all of it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so those episodes are on YouTube and still on Twitch if, you know, anyone out there listening is interested to find them. So, gotcha. So, um, I mean, the reason that we're talking is I am, if not the newest, one of the newest members of the notorious DMG. Thanks to. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Absolutely. So how did you get involved with that? Was that was that all Matt or were you involved with that beforehand? So Matt was our first guest on Wisdom Check. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, when they gave me kind of the keys of the kingdom and told me to go build us an audience. um, Like I said, I went out and started moving and shaking. So I found Jowsum's Den. I found Defenders of Cobalt with Chuck, who is a member of Notorious DMG. 
And at the time, I didn't know those two knew each other, which is weird. I found them independently. I didn't know they were in cahoots. Turns out they were. Um, and so, um, you know, we started doing Wisdom Check and uh, BizLab. Some of those other people um, who were notorious DMG had come to watch Matt's episode. And a few episodes later, I had Chuck on. We talked about Fourth Ed D and D. Still, I've seen that most, episode. Still, our most watched episode because no one promotes Chuck better than Chuck. <laughs> so he, he today put that episode back out on Twitter again. Almost a year later, he put it back out there for people to look at today. So no one, no one promotes Chuck better than Chuck, as I like to say. Yeah. And so, um, and he's very proud of the fact that he's the most watched Wisdom Check episode of our fifty mm-hmm. episodes or whatever we've done now. And so. Uh, you know, as those guys came on, um, I started hearing them talk about Notorious DMG, but I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So there was a point where Matt, before getting picked up officially with Grim and Perilous Gaming, he was going to run a module for Zweihander at Gen Con last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to do like a play test. So I got to go be part of this group. He asked me, they, didn't, they couldn't get all the people from Notorious DMG available to do it. So I stepped in and filled in on a spot and got to do that and i kind of joked with them i was like so is there like an application form for this notorious <laughs> dmg thing like where do i submit my application and i bugged them until they finally let me in so mm-hmm. that's that's how i got in there but i think getting to be in that that play test was nice and then i got to meet matt at gen con hang out with mm-hmm. him for a day so because um, i go to it, i only live an hour away from gen con so i go you know every couple of years i usually go so mm-hmm. Yet gaming conventions are definitely going to happen uh, for me this this year, assuming everything kind of stays the same as far as uh, my my income is concerned. Uh, but I, I there's a lot of people that I've interviewed who go to a lot of these conventions. I've never met any of them in real life, except for two of them who I uh, play D and D with. They I interviewed them live, and then all my friends who I've brought on, I obviously know. But there's there's a ton of people who've been very supportive of the show. Uh, who who are very cool on the show that I want to meet in person that I just haven't met and so I just need to get out to Gary Khan, Gen Con, all the all those awesome shows that everyone goes to. Yeah, we're pretty excited because at the end of next month, at the end of February, we have been um, our proposal that we sent in was accepted by C2E2 in Chicago, which oh, is nice. the Entertainment Comic Convention up there. We're actually getting to be presenters um, oh. for a, uh, basically a session on how to homebrew. So we're going to run a session for uh, basically for D&D, and we're going to try to run games at Gen Con as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, But at C2E2, we're going to be doing a session on an hour-long presentation thing on how to homebrew your own game and how to how to make D&D work for you so that you're not stuck in module world forever. Modules are great. The 5e mm-hmm. modules, some of the best ones that I've seen written in a long time as yeah. far as modules go, but if you, you, know, you buy a book, you, you, you plow through it, and then you got to wait for another book, or you can start learning how to make your own game and mm-hmm. just use the modules when you feel like using them, you know? So we want, we want people to be able to get that full experience. Like we had back in second ed when all we had was a DMG, a monster's manual and a player's handbook. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't all that much else out there back then. So that's, yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. I mean like, again, just kind of my own personal background with role playing. Uh, I kind of came into D and D in a very old school way because the first games that I played, um, as a player were homebrew worlds. And then the first game that I ran as a DM was also homebrew. I had to, mine was kind of backwards in that I had to learn how to run a module because the first time I ran a module, I, I very much went from an open game where you guys kind of control the narrative to, all right, we're in a module. Now you guys have to stay on this track. 
because I, I don't know what else is out there. I, I've never run a module. I still haven't. <laughs> I've looked at them. They're cool. I watch a lot of people play them on Twitch. They seem fun, but I've, I've never ran one. I'm not sure I could. I'd get like five pages in and I'd just start doing my own thing. Like <laughs> the players wouldn't go do something. I'd be like, yeah, let's just go do that instead. This <laughs> So this module side, nobody cares about it anyway. We'll just mm-hmm. just move on with whatever you guys want to do. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I could run one, which is interesting because I'm writing one for Zweihander now. But mm-hmm. I, I have no problems writing it because I don't know how to I don't know how to box myself in enough, stay on the rails enough to make a module. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm struggling with it, but I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're uh, you're working on the that Zweihander module, uh, if this is a stage where you kind of want to you know, talk about uh, what your idea for that is, uh, then yeah. I'd definitely well, like to hear it. So I. Um, after getting introduced to Zweihander through Matt Jowett, um, I decided I, I got the books from Daniel D. Fox and I told him, I was like, I'll run a game on my stream and I'm going to take it to my local game shop where no one there's heard of it. And, um, I've done both things. So, um, but the game that I put together was called terror and tree fell and it runs every other Thursday on my channel. It's not done yet. I'm only about halfway through the story that I kind of have written. And um, so I got six players together and they're running through this story. And as it's been going along, the people from the Grim and Perilous Discord, not the people from Grim and Perilous themselves, but other people who are in the community for Zweihander who were watching was like, you need to write this in a module. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started trying. Um, so my problem is, is I feel like I've wrote it so much for my six characters that I don't know how to like pull them back out of it and just yeah. structure it. You know what I mean? But it's, um, it's a story about a group that gets exposed to a, some sort of new disease mm-hmm. and gets exiled from this town and sent to this little village up the road called Treefell, where they have to find the origin of this, of this disease and find out a way to cure it or stamp it out or else they're exiled and probably killed if they ever return. And they get there and it's this um, kind of backwards rural area mm-hmm. and one of the things I wanted to do with the game was really just drive home like the difference between the city mentality and the rural mentality in particular, mm-hmm. kind of the way that things are currently like in America where yeah. rural America, you know, they call it like main streets dying. Like literally you come here to my town and we have buildings literally getting knocked down and falling down on themselves. Um, you know, that, that whole, there's, there's not necessarily money there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you get this mentality that you run into when you come to places like this that people aren't necessarily prepared for. And I wanted to really kind of showcase that, mm-hmm. that issue of what do people do in this situation and how do these rural areas really work mm-hmm. and let them have to unsolve this conspiracy and this, this sort of mystery that, that takes place in it mm-hmm. by trying to navigate through rural small town politics. And, um, it's taken about five games, and they're finally starting to get there. So, and that's 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 the root of what it is. Um, I can't say any more because my players are going to yeah. hopefully over the next four or five games finally bust this thing wide open and solve this plot and mm-hmm. you know in in this story, if you will. So we'll see we'll see where they go. So I have not played Zweihander yet. I have the book. Uh, oh, excellent. Daniel was very kind enough to actually send me a copy. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he's a after, gracious dude. Yeah, yeah. That that was an amazing moment. It was him, and then uh, very shortly before that, 
Levi Combs from Planet X Games also sent me a comp copy of the adventure that he just released. And so I was just like, people are sending me free shit now. What? I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy when you start doing some of this stuff. And, you know, we we did some pretty cool giveaways last year from some stuff that was given to us. Uh, Matt Jowett actually won one of our giveaways. It was a... (laughs) It was a dice necklace created from a company called Loop LA Jewelry out in L.A. And the person who hand makes all these jewelry is um, Tara Jane Sands, who is the voice of Bulbasaur in all the Pokemon games. So we got a we got a necklace from Bulbasaur to give <laughs> so my, my nice. son was super hyped. He wanted to keep it. I was like, nope, sorry, bud. Someone else has got to win this thing. So, you know, we, we've had some pretty cool stuff like that to give away. Like, it's amazing the things you can get, you know. Yep. People people are far more generous than what you, what you imagine when you first meet them or run into them. So. But the idea I had, um, once I, you know, get to play Zweihander, the idea I had if I ever get to run it uh, was to run a game kind of using a lot of the the technology that's in Zweihander with black powder and stuff like that to run a game that's set during uh the American Revolution. Okay. You could do it. Yeah. Um a lot of Zweihander there's if I could talk to you off of off a podcast about the complications you'll run into trying to do yes. that. But um yeah, I don't want to get too in the weeds of it here, but it would be cool. Mm-hmm. There's just yep. a, there would be some things you would have to take into consideration. There's yes. Zweihander is it's a lot of melee and obviously the american revolution be a lot of gunpowder fights ranged very few very few of the 80 some starting professions get access to that stuff so you'd have to do a little reworking but you can make it happen but even like even considering that there's a lot more melee in kind of that that american revolution time frame than we think about because if you think about it's a uh it's still at that time a clash between uh the native people and the settlers as they're uh, moving west, so you still have some of that influence in there. Especially if you look at something like The Patriot and and how up close and, and dirty that kind of aspect of the fighting was at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, Zweihander is a humanocentric game, so yep. it's implied that the bulk of people are human. You know, if you were going to run a game, you don't have to allow the, the demi-human races, the ancestries mm-hmm. at all. So yep. um, you could you could go that route. It would, it would be an interesting take on it that I had to, don't know if I've seen done yet. That's, that's for sure. And it's, I mean, it's definitely something that would need work. And there's definitely, like, stuff that's already in Zweihander that wouldn't work in that setting. Like, any kind of plate armor wouldn't work. Or <laughs> Yeah, and that's, yeah. I mean, most people in Zweihander, even the ones who technically can wear a plate, almost no one wears plate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've, I've yet to see a Zweihander character actually running around in plate mail. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it's too expensive everyone's pretty poor in this game. <laughs> you just can't afford it. And even if you take it as an iconic trapping, it's got actually some hefty negatives to it. So yeah. you won't, you won't, you won't have to deal with that quite as much as you imagine, but mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, that's another kind of stumbling block. That's, that's going to be in place for me when I eventually do get to play Zweihander is getting out of my D and D mentality because mm-hmm. the games are extremely different in that when I was going through for the first time and kind of making my sample character just just to do it, just to roll the dice and see what came up, I was like, well, this guy sucks. And I was like, well, statistically, anyone would suck when you go through this. And it's about kind yeah. of rising above that. Well, there's a few things with it that you do have to get over the hump with people is understanding, first off, that your rolled stats only kind of matter. Yep. Um, if you're doing them 
completely just random the way you're supposed to the 3d 10 plus 25 and just put lane just roll them and lane them as they go like you're going to end up with combinations that don't seem right but then once you understand how the mechanics of the game actually work you get a much better sense of how those numbers like they do matter but they also kind of don't matter yep so you have ways of 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 fixing those little bit of inconsistencies and stuff like pretty quickly so Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a big deal even the stat the stats weren't the problem it was the everything i rolled after that oh yeah 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 you can it was the i'm starting as a commoner and i'm a doomsayer so i'm literally always wounded and just whipping myself because yeah. of my religious convictions yeah you always start out a little wounded but you do yeah. get that plus three damage threshold so you're basically Absolutely. wearing studded leather all the time without having leather yeah. on so you're so you know it, it there's there's little balances in there to help out but it, it does look a little daunting when you first roll it because like, yeah. that's not what i thought i was going to be playing like i don't know what to do with this guy you know or then you figure it out so yeah and I guess uh, kind of a question to end on as we're, we're wrapping up here, uh, discussing kind of that random nature, do you think that there's maybe a little bit more merit, or do you think it doesn't matter at all, in rolling your stats versus point by because rolling your stats allows you to discover your character? Well, I think there's two approaches to character, and I think they're both valid. Mm-hmm. And I think what you have to ask yourself is... Sometimes I come up with an idea and I don't have a game yet and I have an idea in my head of something I want to do. And then when a game pops up and I don't, sometimes it's D&D, sometimes it's a different edition of D&D, sometimes it's a completely different game like Zweihander, right? Like, you know, if I have the ability to pick what I am and I have this idea in my head, I might then go about looking for a stat array or point by or whatever's offered. Yep. But sometimes, like, if I just sit down for a game... And whether it's a one shot or um, I get invited without a lot of notice or I just haven't came up with any really good ideas, I don't I personally don't mind randomly rolled stats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's people in my group and my counterpart on Wisdom Check, Jeff, he's very much in the opposite camp. He wants to be able to pick all his stuff. Mm-hmm. He wants to be able to write that background. He wants to be able to do all those things. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I'm flexible in that way. Yeah. Like I can do I can do either or. It just depends mm-hmm. on depends on what the game is asking of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them will have problems with what they consider um, stat indifferences. Among, like everyone's not necessarily the same power level. Whereas if you yeah. do like a point by, everyone has a hopefully balanced out method a point by, depending on the game you're in, so that everything equals out. You know, yeah. roughly. Um, you could. There's a lot of good arguments we could have about that some other time, but yeah. you know. It, it is what it is, I guess. Um, I don't mind it. I know there's a lot of people who do. Some people do favor one. Some people do favor the other. Yep. Um, I think you get very different style of characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, different game systems allow you to make different characters and tell different kinds of stories. So for me, if I'm a GM, I reach for a system that will help me tell the story the best of the story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a player, I look at what I have in mind or what the game is going to be. And then I figure which method will help me make the best character for that. Mm-hmm. So that's, as I guess that's my approach to it. Um, it's not for everyone. It's not yeah. for everyone in my group, but mm-hmm. it is a, it, it's how I approach it, I guess. Well, yeah. And like, I, I totally understand the, the power game mentality of you want to be the best possible. This you can be. And so you, you want to pick the stats you want to pick everything that comes down the pipe 
And I understand, like, from the roleplay perspective, you have a character idea and you want to be able to, to see that out. But I found kind of with myself and then with some of the people at the table, a lot of times people come to the table already knowing what they're going to be uh, by 20th level. Yeah. And the, the uh, arc that they're going to go on and your story or any a, of the stuff that happens almost doesn't matter because yeah, they're going to go on that trajectory. That is where that's a 3.5 Pathfinder mentality. A lot of yeah. people who came in under 3.5 Pathfinder and as my counterpart Jeff would tell you, when there's things that you want to take that have prerequisites, you don't have a choice but to plan the path you're going to take to get to them. Yep. And I totally understand that. I, I totally, you know, and, and those games had a certain way of making sure you did that so that you could keep up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. Um, as you progressed in CR, things got harder to hit. If you didn't yep. if you didn't take your bonuses in the right spots and keep progressing certain things, suddenly you couldn't do anything. So, you know, that's that's a mentality that was required for those game systems, and people who spent a fair amount of time in them got used to doing that. And then when they get mm-hmm. pulled out and shoved into something like Zweihander or even 5, 5e has really broke away from that like you don't have to do that in 5e now you can just you pick something up front at like level three and then you just write out the bonuses for the rest of the time so um you know it it, i think there's a there's a bridge there they got to cross to get back they had to cross it from second ed to get into three you know everyone had a couple characters that maybe weren't great until they figured out like i can't just do this i gotta i gotta plan these things out and then to move back towards something where you you have more flexibility again um, it's nice, and at the same time, it is it is a change for people, especially if they skip 4th Ed. Yep, and as always, uh, lest you guys think I am uh, hopping on a soapbox or, or going down a dark path, as it were, all play styles, as long as everyone at the table is cool with it, all play styles are valid. Any way you want to have fun, you have fun. Yep. I'm just... I ask that because that's something that's been kind of kicking around in my mind really ever since the last game that I that I played. I so, was thinking about wanting to roll my stats next time I, I, I play. Did, did you find what you did to be unfulfilling? Did you think you were going to get something out of it and then you got there and it just wasn't what you thought it would be? Or What, what kind of happened was I ended up making a character that was very similar to other characters that I'd already made. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And it didn't help that I picked the same class. Well, yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll do it. I'm, I'm, I'm always a big fan, and one of the things I do when I make a character is I always come with a concept like I did for Forever Storm of Bowron. I was like, I want to play a pirate. Yeah. Le- Levi said something about it being a nautical game, and I was like, all right, pirate it is, because, you know, that's, a, that's an archetype that's right in my wheelhouse. And yeah. so uh, I was like, pirate. And I was like, okay, he's not going to be a rogue. What's he going to be? I was like, man, eh, fighter doesn't work. I was like, maybe a cleric, maybe like an ocean cleric. So at first I thought I was going to do Ocean Cleric, right? And there's some scale mail, be all oceany, And then I was like, eh, I don't know. Then I was looking at that, I was like, ah, Druid, perfect. Wear some hide, leather-like armor, you know, mm-hmm. you give him a scimitar, let him go to town like he's the pirate, and next thing you know, he changes into some aquatic, you know, animal and goes to town on like, some shark and starts biting people. Like, So, you know, it was, but the, I think one of the things I always do is when I have a concept is I always try to think of some other class that no one uses for that concept. And try to make it work for it. And that gets me out of cookie cutter, eh, pirate rogue, backstab away. Like, mm-hmm. so I guess that's a yeah. piece of advice just for people out there who might listen to this later. Like, always think of some other path to get you where you want to go and, and, and take the path less traveled. 
Well, Dustin, we have kind of reached the end of our time today. Um, it's been a lot of fun. What I'm going to do here for the last little bit, I'm just going to turn this over to you. Anything you want to promote, anything you want to put out there, go for it. The floor is yours. All right. Well, in about an hour, of course, by the time you hear this, it won't be an hour anymore probably, but on 10, at 10 p.m. Central Time on TT2KB on Twitch, um, you can find me and Jeff doing the Wisdom Check. We have a new guest every week. We cover different topics every week, depending on who our guest is, and we always let them pick what we're going to talk about. So that's 10 p.m. Central Time every Monday night um, on Twitch. Every Saturday, this coming Saturday will be 10 p.m. will be Everstorm. We're starting up season two of Everstorm. We just had a huge, you know, climactic battle with a devil bride thing last game. It was horrible. We all nearly died. Um, that's this coming Saturday at 10 p.m. We also are starting some other cool stuff that we're adding to the channel. Uh, my Terra and Trifo game resumes January 30th, that Thursday, I believe, for Chapter 7, which has been titled Massacre. So, you know, that doesn't seem emboding at all. <laughs> um, it's going to turn out just fine, I promise. Um, and, you know, you can find us on Twitter at TT2KB, and all of these episodes of all the stuff we do um, eventually makes its way onto our YouTube, and it's tabletop, the number two, and keyboard all spelled out. So if you want to find us there, you do have to... You know, search for the whole word name that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. It was a ton of fun talking with you. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to someday joining one of the uh, notorious DMG games and, and maybe we'll we'll get to yeah. share the, the virtual table, as it were. Um, I'm, I'm working on a second Ed Werewolf game for notorious DMG right now. So if you're in that Discord, just fill in a slot and you can play. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to kind of go back into the crazy, wacky, messed up world of Chult because I am going to have uh, Venger Satanus on to talk about his creation and his history with RPGs. Uh, so until then, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your postman, tell your manager who just told you to stop listening to podcasts at work that Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is the best place for RPG interviews, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>